the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The anointed guardian cherub is by definition the Messiah cherub. He is the first Messiah in the Bible. It is the first time that we have an ancient being referred to as Messiah. That's Pastor Michael Oxentenko, and this is Reaching Your Heart. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, you can call at any time, 24-7, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Someone is standing by right now to take your phone call. Today's Reaching Your Heart with Pastor Michael Oxentenko is entitled The Messiah Cherub. Now, it is the third message in the Cosmic Controversy series, and you can find it online at reachingyourheart.com. We'll bring you the first portion of this message here today. Here now is Pastor Michael Oxentenko. Dear Father God, I'm very grateful for Jesus Christ, our Savior. I'm grateful for the protection of the angel of the Lord that encampeth round about them that fears him and delivers them. And I'm grateful in Jesus that you have given us all the protection that we need in life, that our church is not going to be beat up or kicked around by any force, any attitude, any spiritual power that would threaten to undo your purpose for its mission. We thank you for Jesus in his name. Amen. The Bible teaches that as soon as there was sin, there was a Savior. Satan was the first being who sinned in the universe. Hebrews 12.29 says, God is a consuming fire for sin and sinners. Ezekiel 28.14 informs us that Satan used to walk in the midst of the stones of fire. In Ezekiel 10.1 and 2, these stones exist in the very presence of God's throne and they are coals of fire that the angel reaches in to destroy an unfaithful city. I mean, there's no missing it. When you encounter a holy God... When you encounter the God of our fathers in the heavenly sanctuary, there is the presence of fire that is antithetical with sin. It's simple spiritual chemistry, really. Light plus darkness equals light. God's presence plus sin equals the extinction of sin. As soon as Satan sinned, he should have been consumed by the glory of God. Poof, just like that, gone. The last time I checked, Satan is alive and well on planet Earth, and that means something for us in our struggle with good and evil. The bombing this week in Oslo, Norway, is one of the many evidences that Satan is still alive and well on planet Earth. Even though his days are numbered, Satan is alive because something or someone way back then saved him from instant extinction in the white-hot heat of God's glory. It's hard to imagine that God would save the devil, but he did. That's the evidence of Scripture, that as soon as he sinned, God saved him from the consequences of his sin. That means as soon as there was sin, there was a Savior for the devil. Speaking of Satan, the Bible says this in Ezekiel 28, 13, and 14. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, carnelian, topaz, and jasper, chrysolite, beryl, and onyx, sapphire, carbuncle, and emerald. And wrought in gold were your settings and your engravings on the day that you were created, they were prepared." I mean, these are the stones that you will find on the breastplate of the high priest. He was created 
to be the crown of God's creation, to administer God's will, and to reveal God's purpose as a high priestly figure. In verse 14, I'm reading from the Revised Standard Version, which will differ with some translations that you may have. It says this, With an anointed guardian cherub I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire you walked. The Hebrew consonants in this passage were pointed with vowels by the Masoretes many centuries after the Old Testament was written. What we have in our ancient manuscripts are essentially the consonants with no vowels. So the vowels are not sacred. It matters what the consonants are, and really the vowels represent a tradition of sorts. So the Hebrew is obscure at best in Ezekiel 28. To dig into its meaning, we have to see how it was translated in ancient times. The Greek Septuagint is the best translation for the ancient vowel pointing of the Hebrew text. Now what is that? Two centuries before Christ, there was a translation of the Hebrew Bible that reflects a tradition or understanding of those vowels that is older than our present Masoretic text of the Hebrew Bible. And so if you really want to know what this thing meant, we have the best clue by comparing the Hebrew text with the Greek Old Testament. Now some translations will say this, you were the anointed guardian cherub, as if somehow Lucifer was the Messiah or guardian cherub. The word anointed here in the Hebrew is the word Messiah. But that really doesn't make the best sense. If, if you ignore the Masoretic vowel markings here, which tend to be a little biased at times, there are two possible translations for Ezekiel 28, verse 14. Number one, it can be translated, you were the anointed guardian cherub, speaking of the devil, or it can be translated, I set you with the anointed guardian cherub. And that one makes more sense. The Revised Standard Version agrees with the Septuagint Greek Old Testament vowel pointing of the Hebrew text. It reflects an understanding of the Hebrew vowel pointing that goes back to the second century BC. And it's the one that gets the idea right. Ezekiel 28.14 in the Greek Old Testament, 200 years before Christ, says this, With an anointed guardian cherub I placed you. So that causes us to ask a serious question here. Who was this anointed guardian cherub in the Bible that it's talking about here? Who was this Messiah cherub that was there before Lucifer was created? Who was he and why was he there? Now the word translate anointed, as I said in verse 13, in the Hebrew is the Hebrew word Messiah. The anointed guardian cherub is by definition the Messiah cherub. He is the first Messiah in the Bible. It is the first time that we have an ancient being referred to as Messiah. And so we must ask the question, who is he? The Bible indicates that Lucifer was created to take his place beside the Messiah cherub who was already there before he was there. When he opened his eyes at creation, there were eyes looking back at him with love. He saw the eyes of the Messiah cherub. The word cherub found here is used in the five books of Moses, the book of Ezekiel and the book of Isaiah. The word is also used in 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles to describe the construction of the Hebrew temple. Sometimes the word appears in the plural and is translated cherubim. But the Hebrew plural does not always mean plural. Sometimes it can intensify a noun. So cherubim can mean more than one cherub, which is plural, or it can also mean magnificent or mighty cherub, depending on the context. Now in the Bible, the word cherub is reserved for those beings who live in the very presence of God. They are the most powerful, 
They are the wisest. They are the ultimate intervention of God in history when they are released. When they come from the heavenly sanctuary, they're able to reverse the captivity of God's ancient people as recorded in Zechariah chapter 5 and Zechariah 1. At the end of time, they're able to hold back the forces of evil until the seal of God is placed on the forehead of those who will serve him. So in the Bible, the word cherub is reserved for these special beings. Now the word cherub in the ancient Babylonian tongue means great and mighty, and they are in fact great and mighty beings. The cherubim are described in Scripture as composite beings who are great and mighty in every way. And they have four characteristics that are really visualizations we find in the book of Ezekiel and Revelation, which are symbolic of qualities that they possess. These four elements are symbols that describe supernatural qualities that cannot be visualized by human beings. They look like a man, a lion, an eagle, and an ox. Now think about this. When you pray at night for your son or daughter or your grandchild, you fall down at the bed and you're there on your knees praying. And you're asking God to send an angel to guard your child for the night. Does that angel look like an eagle? A lion, a man, and an ox in your mind or not? No. You just think of a sweet little angel with wings coming down to guard your child. Well, believe it or not, the kind of beings that protect you are ferocious, they're intelligent, they can fly, and they have the qualities here described. A man represents intelligence. Cherubim are ancient intelligences that are wiser and more intelligent than any man has ever been. Number two, a lion. It represents ferocity. Cherubim are capable of destroying entire kingdoms at God's command. They command fire and brimstone, he so orders, in the Old Testament and in the book of Revelation. An eagle represents flight and swiftness. Cherubim ride the wind and they move throughout the universe at will. An ox represents strength. They are stronger than any notion of Superman. And they're able to do anything that God empowers them to do. And so these are awesome beings that we are talking about here. And we simply are unable of visualizing them. So the Bible has given us those four qualities to help us. Now in the most holy place of Solomon's temple, there were four cherubim. One was at the north, the south, the east, and the west. In Revelation 7, there are four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of strife so that God's servants can be sealed with the seal of God. These four cherubim appear throughout the Bible in times of crises to save God's people from hostile nations. As I said, they're in the book of Zechariah, four horsemen who patrol the earth to bring peace until the sanctuary can be rebuilt. They're pictured in Zechariah 5 coming in chariots from God's throne to accomplish His will for the reconstruction of the temple. We find them four angels released in Revelation in the sixth trumpet just before the unsealing of the book of Daniel. And they are four angels' messages that will accomplish God's will and bring Jesus Christ back to earth. When these four angels operate in human history, dramatic things begin to occur. Now, two of these four angels were on the Ark of the Covenant, which was a physical symbol of God's eternal throne. So there's no missing the meaning here in Ezekiel 28. The text indicates that Lucifer was created to take his place beside the only cherub that was there before he was, the Messiah cherub. He was not the first, he was the second. And he was created and placed beside what Ezekiel calls the Messiah cherub. Now, the most ancient reading of the Hebrew indicates that he was placed there. He didn't put himself there. God created him and he put him there. Verse 14 says, He walked in the midst of the stones of fire, and the fire did not 
destroy him. I mean, you take the text and it's pretty clear here. He was made to live in the fire. He was made to live forever in the white hot heat of God's glory. The stones of fire, the symbols of the divine presence that made the lips of Isaiah clean when the seraphim brought them and touched his lip and burned away his sin. He was made to live in the heat of God in his glory and the coals of fire. The eternal fire of God's glory did not kill him. Isaiah 14, 12 describes him as the shining one who was the son of the morning. Hillel ben Shachar, he drew his light from God's light and the fire of God's glory was his glory and he glowed with God's glow so the universe could see. The Bible teaches that this fire that exists on the sanctuary mountain, the holy mountain of God, in the heavenly sanctuary is the very fire that will destroy evil in the end. A few verses bear this out. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 31. Let's look at verses 8 and 9. The Bible here is describing the destruction of the Assyrian Empire that has oppressed the nation of Israel. And it says this, The Assyrian shall fall by a sword, not of man, and a sword not of man shall devour him. And he shall flee from the sword, and his young men shall be put to forced labor. His rocks shall pass away in terror, and his officers desert the standard in panic, says the Lord. Now notice what it says next. Says the Lord whose fire is in Zion, whose furnace is in Jerusalem. Now if I were to ask you this question, where is God's fire, where is God's furnace, based on that verse, where would you have to answer? Where is it at? It's in Jerusalem, and where else? It's in Zion. So Mount Zion, the Temple Mount, in Jerusalem, God's furnace was there. That's where the fire burned for the altar. That's where the fire was for the incense and the like. We find the fire associated with God's holy sanctuary. The fire that will destroy evil was in the temple of Jerusalem because God was there. Isaiah thirty-three fourteen. Take your Bibles and turn with me there as well. This is an amazing verse. And I really don't know why we don't meditate more on amazing verses because they have meaning that reveal God's nature and glory. And when we pass over them, we miss a lot sometimes. Reaching Your Heart is a listener-supported program. We step out in faith to purchase airtime on this station because we believe God is working through this radio ministry to touch tens of thousands of lives. Each of our messages is prayed over. Biblical messages of hope and Bible truth. To continue, we need your support. We do not have a large ministry fundraising machine. We operate totally by faith. Call our toll-free number to make your contribution of any size today. That number is 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Or you can stop by our website, reachingyourheart.com. That's reachingyourheart.com. Let's get back to the broadcast now. Here is Pastor Michael Oxentenka with more of today's Reaching Your Heart. It says in verse 14, the sinners in Zion are afraid. Now based on that verse, who are the ones that are afraid? The sinners are. Now look why. Trembling has seized the godless. Now they're speaking. We have next quotation marks. They're speaking. Who among us can dwell with the devouring fire? Who among us can dwell with everlasting burnings? Now here the wicked are asking a vital question. Who among us can live in a fire that never goes out? Who among us can live in the eternal fire? 
Now, most Bible preachers will tell you what? What would be the answer that we hear across the pulpits of our land? Who will live in the everlasting fire according to most Bible preachers? Sinners. They said a sinner will go to the everlasting fire and burn forever and ever and ever. Now, the sinners are asking the same question here. They're saying, who can live in the middle of an everlasting fire? The sinners are afraid. Verse 15 has the answer. He who walks righteously and speaks uprightly, who despises the gain of oppressions, who shakes his hands lest they hold a bribe, who stops his ear from hearing of bloodshed and shuts his eyes from looking upon evil. Now wait a second. That's not the answer we would expect. Based on that verse, who lives in the midst of the everlasting fire? The righteous do. Like Lucifer before he fell, it's as if they can walk in the midst of the stones of fire and there's no problem. Now look at verse 16. It says, He will dwell on the heights. His place of defense will be the fortress of his rocks. His bread will be given him. His water will be sure. And then we have a clue as to what the fire is in verse 17. Your eyes will see the king in his beauty. The fire that destroys the wicked is the beautiful light that is seen in the face of the king of glory who lives in Mount Zion. You cannot separate God from the fire that destroys the sinner. The book of Revelation says that fire will come out from God and destroy the wicked at the end of time. And so we see no break here, no discontinuity. Isaiah 10 verse 16, Therefore the Lord, the Lord of hosts, will send wasting sickness among his stout warriors, and under his glory a burning will be kindled like the burning of a fire. Look at verse 17. The light of Israel will become a fire and his Holy One aflame. Now according to that verse, the fire is God who is the light of Israel, and his Holy One who is Jesus Christ will become a flame, and it will burn and devour his thorns and briars in one day. The light of Israel is God, the Father, and his Holy One is Jesus Christ, and they are a consuming fire for evil. Hebrews 29 just says it simply, our God is a consuming fire. Revelation 1.14 says that Jesus has eyes that are like a flame of fire. The fire that destroys evil is God. The fire is eternal because God is eternal. I mean, last time I checked, you can't put God out, can you? How many here would want God to go away? Of course not. If God is an eternal fire, then the fire will never, never end. But the Bible is very clear. The sinner will end because he cannot stand in the midst of the everlasting burnings. He cannot stand in the glory of God and be at war with God and his law. In verse 17, the Bible says he will destroy the wicked in a single day. And then verse 18 follows, Isaiah 10, 18, the glory of his forest and of his fruitful land, the Lord will destroy. Now notice the NIV does not carry this correctly, but notice what it says, both soul and body, and it will be as when a sick man wastes away. Jesus quoted this verse in Matthew 10.28 when he described the future hell that is coming. The rendezvous with the glory of God at the great white throne judgment of Revelation 20. And by biblical definition, Christ knew that hell is a final encounter with the glory of God that consumes evil and destroys the sinner completely. And so he said this in Matthew 10.28, referring back to Isaiah 10.18. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. I mean, there's no mystery here. The sinner is not immortal. There will be no everlasting life in a place called hell, according to Jesus or Scripture. 
A hell that burns forever and does not consume evil. It is not hot enough to destroy both soul and body. Jesus is very clear. The hell of the Bible will destroy the soul. Man does not have an eternal soul. He does not have eternal life in a place called hell. He will die in the presence of God if he does not turn to God. Our God is the fire that is in Zion. He is the consuming fire that will destroy evil. Now, this is not passive interaction with the evil. Some people get the idea that God cannot act in history and destroy evil. The Bible does not teach that. When God manifests his presence, God has physically intervened to destroy evil. We must never forget that. And Ezekiel is very clear here. Lucifer used to walk in the midst of the stones of fire. He was on the holy mountain with all that fire. And he walked there and it didn't hurt him at all. It did not destroy him because he was blameless in all his ways. Till iniquity was found within him. Look at verse 14. Ezekiel 28, 14. With an anointed guardian cherub I placed you, which is the best reading. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. you know, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Lucifer lived in the furnace with God. And the Messiah cherub was there and the fire did not destroy him. The white hot heat of God's love was life for him. But one day he rebelled against God. One day he lifted up his fist to God. One day he refused to bow the knee to his creator and recognize him as God. And one day he stiffened his lip and he hardened his attitude. And he was filled with pride and ego and arrogance based on his own desire for greatness. The Bible says here iniquity was found in him. You know, sin didn't start on the outside. Sin started on the inside. You know, sometimes people ask the question, why are attitudes important? Because sin starts on the inside. We must pray for a spiritual attitude or we can slip into sin and be overcome by it. An attitude created action here. A spirit deep within that went wrong has caused all the pain and all the suffering in the universe. Mark 7.20, Jesus said, What comes out of a man is what defiles a man. It's the attitude. And that's why when we get on our knees in the morning, be practical here, we need to fall on our knees and say, Lord, if it isn't for your intervention in my life this day, my attitude will go wrong. I will not love others. I will be resentful in my heart. If it isn't for your intervention in my life today, my nature will affect my attitude. Give me heaven's attitude. And when you pray that prayer, the Holy Spirit will come to you and will transform your attitudes. The Bible says iniquity was found within him. Sin starts in the mind and it moves out. It's a fact of spiritual chemistry and physics that God's glory destroys sin. I mean, we don't have to reason that out. The Bible is very clear. God's glory destroys sin. So as soon as Lucifer sinned, as soon as he rebelled, based on the laws of the universe, God's glory should have fried him on the spot. But it didn't. And so we ask the question again, why? Why did God allow Lucifer to live? Why did he let his life continue when Lucifer would never return? Imagine what it would have looked like if God had snuffed him out as soon as he crossed the line of no return. Imagine the scene with me. Lucifer is standing in the presence of God. He's been harboring bad attitudes. He now feels feelings of murder for his creator. How can I take God out? And then God extends his little pinky hidden under his long white robe. And what appears in his hand is a thunderbolt. There's a lightning bolt, then a flash of lightning, followed by a bright, hot glow, a crack of thunder, 
heaven shakes for a moment. And when the brightness dissipates, there is God looking at a burned out crater with ashes in it, with Lucifer's jewelry glowing white hot in a hole. And where is Lucifer? He's gone. A little wisp of smoke rises from his little finger and he blows it out. I told you, go ahead and make my day. At that point, every knee bows and every angel bends the knee in chorus song, Hallelujah, Amen. And the prayer that follows is a strange kind of prayer as trembling angels pray a prayer that has never been prayed before. I love you, God. Yes, I, I love you. Please don't destroy me too. I'll serve you, but don't look at me and don't turn your finger on me. Please, we love you. All right. And as they worship deep inside, there is fear. And before long, fear becomes anger. And anger settles into rebellion. If God had destroyed Lucifer from the beginning, he would have created a universe of rebels. God's character is patient and long-suffering. When Moses asked to see God's face, God showed him his back because no one can look into the face of God and live. Well, unfortunately, we need to leave it there for the first portion of The Messiah Cherub, the third installment in the Cosmic Controversy series. This is the first portion. We'll complete this message the next time we're together. Don't forget you can always find them online at reachingyourheart.com. Thanks for listening today. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe in prayer. We believe in the God who answers our prayers and meets our needs. Each week, we are standing by to receive your prayer requests and seek God with you. His word declares, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Call our prayer line today with your requests and our team will join you in seeking that the God of heaven will meet each one of your needs. Our telephone number is 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. If you would like to listen to this message again, it is available for you at reachingyourheart.com. Once again, reachingyourheart.com. There are many messages available along with this broadcast as well. Thanks for listening today. And as always, we want you to know that we do pray that God is reaching your heart. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.